Your ears do not deceive you. You've just entered the Cryptid Creator Corner brought to you by your friends at Comic Book Yeti. So without further ado, let's get on to the interview. <laughs> yes, I can clearly see that I rolled a one. <laughs> While the Yeti determines my fate, I wanted to tell you about our friends at Sanity Damage. They're an amazing D&D actual play live show. The campaign features a high seas adventure full of piracy, steampunk, and Lovecraftian horror elements. You can find Sanity Damage on any podcasting platform or watch the party live on YouTube. Catch them bi-weeklies on Thursdays at 7.30 Eastern Time on YouTube at The Homebrew d and I'll throw it in the show notes to make it easy. Oh, and never let a Yeti be the DM. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Cryptid Creator Corner podcast. I'm Byron O'Neill, your host for today's chat, and it is with great pleasure that I get to introduce yet another native Tennessean, Dakota yeah. Brown. Yeah, <laughs> and not only a native Tennessean, but an East Tennessean, because these things matter. We, yeah, yeah, we yeah. know this. And with Eric Powell, that's less, uh, that's two in less than a month, which makes me quite happy. So way back when, prior to the podcast days, when I was running live interviews on Twitter X Spaces, Dakota and I got to chat about his project, Death Comes for the Toymaker, which is now coming out with Scout. Comes out in trade in early 2024. We'll get to that later because he's got an exciting new book that has been dropping recently with Band of Bards called Grandma Tilly's Hell Tech Mech. That's hard to get out, but... <laughs> That's uh, with Yeti favorite Lane Lloyd providing the artwork and coloring and Micah Myers handling the lettering duties. I got a chance to preview this earlier this year, and it's absolutely going to be one of the most unique things. I guarantee you, you're likely to read. Uh, Dakota and I are are looking forward to to digging into this, but it's great to catch up with you on the podcast. How you been doing? I know you've been super busy with the addition of the little one, for sure. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's uh, he's been wonderful. He's the, like I was saying, he's the, the smartest, coolest guy I know right now. Um, and you know, so much of life has been, uh, spending as much time as I can with him and my wife and it's, it's been wonderful. Um, and just, uh, waiting to see how, uh, how the whole comics biz goes <laughs> in the meantime. Oh, aren't we all? Oh yeah. Well, but he's, uh, he's, he's a wonderful distraction. <laughs> yeah, they, they are. Um, well, let's dive into Grandma Tilly's. So, so the basic beats here, you have a, a widowed grandmother who really likes her video games, who accidentally falls into possession of a hell dimension fueled mech after trying to hail a rideshare to get to the local wizardry inspired game shop to replace her broken game controller on double XP day and craziness ensure ensues. And when I say craziness, I don't think anyone who hasn't picked this up yet will have a clue as to where this goes later because I certainly didn't. So first tell me about what kind of initially inspired this kind of zany concept. Oh yeah. Well, it's, um, well, luckily, it's uh, it's one of those um, logline as a title uh, comics that I love. Uh, it's kind of my habit. Death comes for the toy maker. You know what it is. Grandma yep. Tilly's Helltech Mech. Everything you need to know is in that title. Yep. Um, but it, it it didn't used to have that title. Um, looking back at my my files, uh, I believe it started in 2017 um, as an, an animation project. I had just come back from uh, Burbank pitching to uh, Nickelodeon and. Um, uh, Disney and Frederator Studios at the time, who were still very active, um, just to you know get a gauge of what they were looking on. I'd been chatting with them for a little while, and um, they invited me over to share some projects. Uh, nothing came of it, but um, other than you know a, a few projects that I eventually started creating and are now kind of turning into comic books because that transition is um, pretty easy so long as it's not a uh, uh, a specific children's project because the the market there is a little a little skewed at the moment. It's a it's a hard sell, unfortunately. Um, but the the original title was um, Five Star Scooper Bot um, because she calls a this ride sharing service called Scooper, uh, uh-huh. and she eventually gives it five stars. It's not a great title. It was a working title, um, but it eventually grabbed the title of uh, the Last Ride Sharer because it is very much inspired by. The last starfighter without me knowing it at the time it's okay. this uh kind of like last star- starfighter meets clive barker that, that's how we've been kind of pitching it um and at that time it was uh it, it had been turned into a spec script for uh the mickey mouse show that was going on at the time starring donald duck um and 
while it obviously wasn't picked up for you know production as one of their shorts, um, it became a became one of my favorite parts of my spec package. Um, and when I stumbled across Lane um, on Twitter after um, getting into comic creation and, and working in that, um, I knew I wanted to find something in my catalog to work with Lane on. Okay. And very quickly, it became this this new beast completely, literally. Um, because the, uh, concept art that Lane would send into me kind of shifted things towards a more, um, more uh, light R, heavy PG-13 light R. Uh, mm-hmm. it's definitely, it, it's built as mature now. Yep. <laughs> yep, yep. I, I don't see this on Mickey Mouse for sure. No, no, no. Um, yeah. but it, it quickly became very evident that Lane was co-creator and not just like a work for hire agreement. Um, okay. so we, we joined forces and um turned this into a three issue uh pitch that yeah it brought in this this hell dimension and these interdimensional um space scientists and um uh a, a wizard gaming area uh store that uh, Tilly frequents um and it's uh it, it's being built when you look at the uh the tags that you can put on uh like global comics or on bandit bars itself the the most common one i see is the word abstract uh okay. and i think is that <laughs> i think that's a, a great compliment and great uh, uh summation of uh the style and maybe even the substance of the the comic itself um but yeah that's that's the uh uh the genesis of the product uh, the project uh and now that we're seeing it released um we're getting to meet a bunch of people who are just as weird of, uh, as us uh, who love just a good time gore fest, <laughs> which it is. Yeah, I mean, there there is the gore fest, but the for me, what I took from it was this uh, overarching kind of tone of humor, right? Yeah. So, so how did you did you do you always intend to have that humor element into it? I mean, animation roots sort of make sense. Did it maintain that throughout, or kind of how did that? Yeah, develop? I, I I think it did. My uh, my animation scripts always had a. Um, uh, we're heavy on the, um, you know, the direction side of things. So it was kind of a um, pre-viz storyboard within the script. So it's it's always very dependent on um, the forward action, especially with something like this, where it is a you know a journey. The first issue alone sees the sees Tilly, you know, get this Helltech mech and journey to the. Well, she ends up in space and yep. very quickly. So it was very important to have. Um, that storyboarded out even without physical storyboards. So the, the original script had that very um, specific forward moving action that, uh, um, that momentum in it. Um, but the, uh, the humor just came from, I think Tilly herself, because uh, um, it may be just from having written something previously and death comes for the toy maker. That's very um, pathos filled. There's some humor in it, but it's very, um, uh, it's very introspective in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just wanted to make sure the next thing maybe wasn't so much, something of a break to, to balance it out. Um, and luckily, you know, just the, uh, the toy box that we got to play with. Um, here's this world that's not too much unlike our world, maybe a little bit um, more abstract. Um, but the characters themselves, the actual toys that you put in this toy box they're already fun this you have this gaming granny who um doesn't care for the world cares for her game and it's double experience weekend um and she's ready to you know sit down and do anything she can to make sure she gets as much experience points as she can on her character um and uh her controller breaks so the uh the vehicle that gets her to um her getting her new controller is this other toy in this toy box that is a uh a literal demon mech from a hell dimension um so them alone uh that determination to you know get what she wants no matter what uh even as mundane and silly as it is and this uh demon hell tech who um you kind of find out wants to has wants to and that wants is to you know uh, feast on flesh um just that like somewhat contrasting uh you know, combination of wants, even though a lot of times they uh, uh, they don't contrast too much, and everybody gets what they want. Um, but they 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 each have their very set 
um, goals and ideals. Um, and of course, throw in a, um, a set of scientists who uh, may or may not have inadvertently been involved in the creation of this mech uh, and a, uh, a game store wizard who uh, really is just a, a guy in a robe um, with a penchant for confetti. Um, again, it's just a, it was a, a lot of toys that were fun to play with in a toy box. And when you have the right toys, um, you're going to have the right amount of fun. So we were lucky there to have those in place before we even really, um, had the full beat by beat panel by panel script in place. Um, the beats were there from beginning to end initially, and then filling in those little moments, um, in between those larger beats, um, it was just playing with toys <laughs> is how okay. I like to look at it. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I found Tilly to be a lot of fun. It's not very often that you get to see older characters in comics these days. Um, that is they're often used as like a sacrificial lamb for maybe yeah. the fleeter, fleeter footed younger folks, an older white guy who's like leading a mega corporation that nobody likes or, or somebody with, you know, that's something with this much more somber tone to it where we're examining memory loss or other mm -hmm. like depressing aspects of aging that we'll all eventually face. So um, we don't think of grandma's rep grinding on video games. Yeah. Uh, so, so this is kind of an untapped character profile. So tell me about developing her and kind of what, what, what you wanted. Was she like modeled after somebody like? Oh, uh, no, not necessarily. Um, uh, I, I, I think the, the major aspect I wanted to to get across there was uh, uh, to have her be this character that's, uh, yes, by all intents and purposes, she's a, um, a mid-60s grandma who loves video games. Um, but she might not see herself as that. I wanted her to see herself as, uh, you know, one of the headset-wearing uh, trash talkers that she is with every day. Mm -hmm. um, right. So she's... We don't see her beforehand throughout the series, and I don't know if I would ever want to explore that in a, a subsequent series. Um, but we see her as she is now. We see her after years of playing this this one video game that she loves, um, and she's kind of absorbed this culture. Um, so yeah, there's there's mentions of um, you know uh, what it's like to be a uh, an empty nester later in the series, or what it's like to have. Uh, you know, knees that aren't what they used to be. Uh, just little mentions here and there to remind you, and really to remind her, um, this might not be uh, an adventure that you're ready for <laughs> anymore, or if anybody's ever ready, certainly with, uh, you know, replaced knees and a fatty liver and uh, um, thoughts of your old life and what you used to be. Um, just little mentions here and there. Um, but no, to Tilly, she is... First and foremost, a gamer, whatever that means. Um, there's no age to it. There's no uh, attitude to it other than um, winning, <laughs> I guess. Um, so writing her was really just writing someone who is passionate about uh, one thing and one thing only, and that's her favorite video game. Um, sometimes she comes across as very uh, sincere, and sometimes she comes across as very uh, cynical and downright villainous in a couple of moments. Um, which I, I, I fought for a while, but as it, I felt like as, as long as her goal was her video game, only her video game that we were trying, they were staying true to her character. So, um, there might be some dichotomy there with, uh, with how she's, uh, seen in crowds or just in public in general. Um, but Tilly is Tilly to the end of time. And what Tilly is, is someone who wants to max out her character. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I found it to be kind of a, a refreshing take on aging, and that's a really interesting way to examine it. You know, she's a gamer. She wants to put herself in in that same category with everybody else that she's mm -hmm. seeing all the time. And I, I want to do this all the time. I want to be able to, like, understand TikTok and um, all the oh, other yeah. things that the kids are doing. Like so, um, But you get this um, kind of a an interesting environment that, that she's in. You, the snapshot of the rest of the neighborhood, mm -hmm. um, which kind of gives you this like King of the Hill vibe a little bit. Yeah, it, it's definitely your everyday suburbia. It's um, uh, a lot of ranch style, single story homes. It's, um, uh, you know, mailboxes right next to your neighbor's mailbox. This is very, um, when you think of just a, 
American suburbs right before you get to the cul-de-sac. This is, uh, this is that. Um, and, uh, it, it, it feels like it definitely, uh, juxtaposes her adventure altogether. Um, but again, I, she would be as happy living in, you know, a, a secluded room in a library that she, <laughs> she's hiding out in as long as she's got Wi-Fi. Um, but, uh, yeah, it, it, I think there was, there was some hopeful intent there to show, um, the everyday America, the, I think we even call it anywhere USA in the script. Um, and hopefully it, it comes off that way. Hopefully. Yeah. Well, everyday America, you live in a smaller town outside Chattanooga, um, yeah. probably whose most famous landmarks are the aquarium in rock city. So I'm slightly disappointed as a native Tennessee and myself that we didn't get to see an Easter eggs about rock city. I mean, or at least I didn't catch it anyway, but you did. Managed to include Chattanooga's most famous son, I felt, with Samuel L. Jackson, you know, as the grizzled military colonel you oh, know, okay. kind of in the book. <laughs> so, you know, it's it's not explicit, of course, but like his resemblance to Nick Fury is is quite strong. So. Yeah, that's a uh, completely accidental. Um, okay, I don't okay. know. Uh, uh, I, I know the script the script said he had a uh, a grizzled look. He had a. Uh, a hook for a hand. He had an eye patch and a scar over the other eye, or a, a scar where his eye patch. He had a scar and an eye patch. Can't remember which uh, uh, which eye is which. Um, but uh, yeah, I think uh, I think Lane went with a um, uh, a, a beefy Sam Jackson. You might be right, but yeah, yeah. yeah hopefully, uh, um, hopefully, it feels a bit unique to the story and not uh, uh, too Nick Furious, especially when you get into you know issue three and how uh um how we view that character once the uh the big battle begins um which probably has uh there i issue three probably should be released with some uh trigger warnings on the front now that i think about it because there are some uh uh bits of horror that make me squeamish and i i put it down on paper so um apologies to anyone who has very specific um fears and phobias of a body horror, but, uh, um, maybe this will be therapeutic. I, I don't know about that. But anyway. Probably not. And I apologize, but good. it's all in good fun. Well, um, kind of speaking of Easter eggs and given your love for teenage mutant Ninja turtles, I, I happen to notice the corner of Eastman and Laird in there and, yeah. and you have a mutated rat, right? So mm. come on. Yeah. Uh, so the rat was not intentional. That's just a, um, um, uh, at least it wasn't in my mind. Uh, I guess that absolutely is a turtles reference at the end of the oh, day. Yeah. Eastman Laird, sure. there, uh, is 100% a, uh, uh, an Easter egg, um, back from the animation days, the original script had that in it. Oh, cool. Um, so the, uh, uh, the mutated rat, the, it's a, a white lab mouse. Um, and that only exists in the 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 comic uh, form. Um, any resemblance is accidental, but you are probably one hundred percent correct. It's probably satisfying some uh, little piece of my desire to, uh, uh, you know, one day touch those turtles with pen and paper um, in whatever form it may be. Um, but yeah, I, if it reads that way, I am thrilled to share my passion <laughs> for those, uh, uh, those, those four hero turtles. Yeah. I've been meaning to ask you, I'm kind of assuming you you've caught up with last run in the lost years. So I was kind of curious as to what you thought of the, the relaunch of the next generation of turtles. Oh, I, I love it. Every time it happens. I, when I say every time it happens, I mean like, um, when they introduce Venus to Milo, Jenica, um, any, uh, version of the mutanimals from the Archie comics to, you know, any of the series. Um, I, I think the idea of having this, these characters be kind of a kind of not like legacy characters, these, you know, core four that represent these, these, um, these four ideals, um, which I'm not sure if it was intentional in the original creation of the Ninja Turtles, but I think I think it's fascinating that the the title itself, these four words, these teenage mutant ninja turtles, kind of represents each turtle because Mikey is the teenager, Raph is the mutant because he's you know a little rage filled, 
Uh, Ninja is Leo because he's, you know, he's focused, he's uh, disciplined. Uh, and the turtle aspect itself is Donnie because he's kind of slower and, and his th- he takes his time, he's methodical. Uh, I don't know how intentional that was. Um, but to see, you know, like I said, that new legacy characters that kind of represent those ideals, but kind of twist them as well. Very passionate about it. Um, I love it. I grew up on the uh, Secret of the Ooze was what I was in my DVD or my VHS player all the time. Um, but the Archie comics, I was a big fan of, and um, like the the the, the, the Mutanimals, whatever iteration they had. Um, I'm a big uh, Mondo Gecko fan, big Ray Filet or Manta Ray, depending on the uh, the series that he's in. Um, Ace Duck. Mona Lisa, all these side characters that, uh, uh, you know, are sometimes touched on, but um, not really uh, filled out. I love, it's a universe that's worth expanding. I'll put it that way. I know a lot of people might not feel that way because they're, they're it, it's hard to, to let go of certain characters. But luckily with The Last Ronin, you <laughs> physically have to let some of them go now. Yep. Um, there's no choice. Uh, so if you want turtles in this universe, you got to have somebody. Um, and I'm, I'm loving how they're going forward with that. Um, and even if, you know, the mainstream IDW series leans into that a bit more, um, just in the, you know, the, the, the current, uh, timeline, um, I'm thrilled with that as well. Um, it's just, it, it might be, like I said, from me reading the Archie comics and having this other, uh, group of characters with mutanimals or growing up with the palladium uh, rpg and uh even though i say grew up i got into it in high school and you know creating your own mutant characters because the system and creating mutant characters there is so wonderful um it's just it's a world worth expanding and i'm i'm glad they're finding a way to do that do it that um it, it seems the majority of fans really love uh, and even outsiders are interested in it, and it's it, it. It's always hard to tell a fan base everything you love is gone and hear something new, but uh, let's expand the world and let's have some fun with it. Yeah, I was I was really impressed with it because I I had been out of that world for a while. You know, hadn't mm. read Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, really anything or an iteration of it for for a while now. Um, and everybody was just talking about how good the. the the last Ronin was. So it's yeah. like, Oh, okay, I'll pick it up, check it out. And now I'm kind of annoyed cause I'm totally hooked you know, yeah. uh, with this next generation. So I'm, I'm personally kind of partial to Uno. It just like speaks okay. to me. Yeah. 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 I'm not, um, so I, I haven't finished, uh, last Ronin, I'll admit, um, the, the new series. Um, so I haven't found myself represented there, but just the fact that it's happening is something I, I love. And even when, the, the the original IDW run of comics came along and they introduced the idea of um, reincarnation through the ooze, like the turtles and Splinter were a, a family in the Edo period. Um, I know that kind of threatened a lot of people's sensibilities of what a you know the turtles are as a family, but it's just been so it, it, it holds on to this idea of the you know the turtles and Splinter as a family uh, in a way that other um, representation of the turtles might not have in recent years um well not recent anymore i guess um but the fact that the origin to getting there is different doesn't matter so long as we see you know at the end of the day a father and his four sons and um that connection there um it's it's been wonderful i there's a lot of catching up i have to do on the idw main timeline series Mm -hmm. um but i'm thrilled to just uh i think i've got the hardbacks of one through 13. Um, and uh, I'm excited just to, to restart soon and make my way up to the last Ronin and then um, nice. and uh, go to the new Ronin series. I've read through last Ronin a few times and it's uh, it's fantastic. I, it's something that uh, was so unexpected and so wonderful. Um, and the balls on them to do it in the first place, honestly. I know. I know. I was blown away. I was yeah. like, there's no way that they just did that. But yeah. yeah. Let's take a quick break. We'll be right back. What in the Sam Hill is happening right now? What is that? Yeah, what is that? 
You like bards? Yeah, or eagle. Oh, you like band of bards. It's not my fault, you mumble. That makes sense. They're dropping some great new series right now. There's that one about a heavy metal guitarist in the 1970s with monsters, working class wizards. You know how we love monsters around here. And my friend Dakota Brown, he's working on a project, uh, Grandma Tilly's Hell Tech Mech with Lane Lloyd. I saw the preview for that. That is crazy. Jimmy even contributed to their anthology from the static and had Matt Sumo on the podcast to talk about his project, The Bardic Verses, which makes a lot of sense that the project landed there. Where can you find them? You need to get out more. They are in previews or you can visit their website, bandabards.com for all the latest. Can we turn the music off now? Thank you. No more surprises. Minstrels or anything like that or I'll rent you out to the Ren Fair as a children's ride. All right, let's get back to the show. Well, moving back to Tilly, um, circling back to that. So so you brought Lane in as a collaborator. um, Mm -hmm. And and I thought their style, first of all, Lane's work for people who are not familiar with them. um, And I'm a big fan. I've got my my PFP is something that Lane did. And I've got a a sound wave, like 80s inspired thing that he did. They did, sorry, uh, custom for me last year or so. Huge fan, um, but that style would not fit every book uh, at at all. I mean, it's it's a very unique style, but it's mm-hmm. it's absolutely perfect for this. So you you brought Lane in as a collaborator, and then you said it sort of morphed and changed and stuff. And then how did that process work? Like, how did both work together? Kind of. Um, well, uh, the pages just started coming. Honestly, um, it, it's so. Uh, a bit inside baseball, um, most um, uh, publishers, and, and the goal was to get this with a publisher uh, because I'm I'm not great on Kickstarter, and with social media being what it is right now, it's very difficult to uh, get those Kickstarters out there. Um, For sure, but a lot of that is on on me as a, a, a I guess producer in, in that sense. Um, so a lot of publishers like to see six pages and a cover. Uh, you know, synopsis for the whole series. In this series, um, I decided it was going to be three issues because after a, uh, a six-issue series with Death Comes for the Toy Maker, it, a series that length has a certain amount of challenges that um, both a creator and a publisher might not want to tackle uh, with a new property, especially. Um, so it, I decided it was going to be a three-issue series. I got with Lane, uh, and the pages started coming in. I believe the pitch pages we had were just pages one through six. Uh, very straightforward. It doesn't necessarily have to be that, but I felt like uh, um, that combination of pages showed you uh, Tilly. It shows you a um, uh, kind of a prologue in space with a, a bit of gore, uh, and it really gets into the silliness pretty early. Um, so I felt like it was a good representation, but when Lane sent me the pages in, they were something else more... Um, far more elevated than what I had intended. Lane has a style that uh, I think I said earlier that uh, most comic sites are billing it as abstract. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think that's a good word for it. It's in the best of ways. Uh, it has this, you know, almost Fleischer animation from the 20s feel, like this stretch and squish. Yep. Um, I, I don't want to like put a, um, put it in a, you know, a very specific box, but it reminds me of Super Jail and uh, a lot of animations from Adult Swim circa, you know, um, early to mid 2000s. Um, and once those pages came in, the script had to change to fit it. Um, originally, the, the Helltech mech didn't have a head. I don't know why. Um, I had a very specific image of it and it was a weird image. But then I got a page in from Lane and uh, it was like, a, it was later in the it, pages would come in like, I'm going to do, you know, pages 18 through 20. Now I'm going to do 14 through, you know, 16. Um, and at this point, the, they had sent me a, a page that, and, he, and just said, what do you think of this head on the mech? Um, so we wrote in this together, really, this, uh, this evolution of the, uh, the mech from beginning to uh, where it is at the end. Because when it shows up, it's just this box. And then it, grow, it sprouts arms and legs. And that was always part of the script. But... Um, 
just all these tiny details that Lane added ended up elevating the first issue to the point where issues two and three had a very specific vision. Um, and we knew exactly where we wanted to go with it. We knew um, I would contact them and be like, what, what kind of grossness do you want in this today? <laughs> and uh, I would just find ways to have fun with it. And I, I think that reads. Um, oh, yeah. And again, it's, it's definitely R-rated. It's gory. Uh, not for sense of language or sexuality by any means. Um, I think there are half a dozen curse words in the entire series, honestly. Um, uh, but it's just, uh, it is wildly gory. And that comes from this collaborative effort of one of us saying to the other, can we do this? <laughs> and it's always, yeah, let's do it. Uh, and luckily Band of Bards is, um, uh, is, is the home of the abstract in a lot of ways. They, yeah. um, they're they have they have the series that other publishers might overlook for whatever reason um and that's nothing bad about these series by any means it's just um you know a publisher might have a very specific criteria for what they want released um on a year-to-year basis um and band of bards is a kind of a risk taker on series um, because of that, and I think that's been very smart because uh, it, it's kind of the shift in audience with uh, what Band of Bards is doing. Um, and hopefully, Grandma Tilly's is you know helping with that process because I think you see a you know a gaming granny in a Helltech mech and her husband's ashes on the cover of a, a book titled Grandma Tilly's Helltech Mech. I think that I think that's a reason to try issue one uh, For sure. at least. Um. Uh. Yeah. All that to say, uh, it was a um from beginning to end. It was using Lane's style and sometimes very subtle decisions in the script uh, or in the uh, the pages to influence the next script. Uh, and I think vice versa too. Um, okay. where they found some things that I might not have mentioned, might not have thought about or mentioned, and it was very collaborative in that sense. Yeah, I mean, my favorite visual moment without giving it too much away here is is just the violent protest at the video developer's building, you know, right? <laughs> it, it, it sort of encapsulates why Lane is the perfect choice for the project. And you, you're kind of blending in some modern political satire into this overall narration in a way that feels like this hybrid of Sunday funnies meets Rolling Stone reporting. Okay. Um, that, that's how it read to me anyway. And then you have the, the no-look pistol shooting, which reminded me of like, Renegade and Lorenzo Lamas. You know, the only thing missing from that scene would have been a guy wearing buffalo horns, right? From oh the yeah, I guess so. Capital yeah. Um, you can you can definitely um, pinpoint on a calendar around the date when issue two was uh, was being scripted. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, while it's not a direct, uh, uh, you know, uh, direct satire necessarily. Uh, and you know what? Unfortunately, it's kind of a general satire <laughs> about. Uh, yeah. You know what? I don't know what it's a satire about, but I, I think the reader will know uh, <laughs> better than I do. Um, it. Uh, I mean, it it also came from the the narrative too, though, because um, they're protesting this gaming company because servers are down. Um, and for whatever reason, a large number of these gamers uh, have the opinion that uh, um, if uh, the company can't be run uh, with how they uh, with how they want it to be by if it can't be run the way they want it to be run, uh, it should be restarted with uh, complete and utter violence. Um, even though that company in question is. Uh, going through every um, process as laid out by uh, uh, you know their their guidelines and every law known to man um, it's it, it I, I think it's silly enough to not feel heavy-handed hopefully because yeah. it's not again it's not a direct reference to any any scenario or situation from uh, the past but uh, uh, it was definitely a. Uh, um, sometimes you write a script and you think, "Well, this wouldn't happen." I, I I don't need to put this in a 
uh, in a in a comment because it's so unrealistic. Um, even in a world where this Helltech mech comes to Earth and this gaming grandmother is piloting it, this feels like it might take the reader out. Um, but I don't think that moment will take the reader out because there is some uh, real world reference to that. Yeah, uh, I found it grounding. You know, oh, okay, good. Yeah, amidst the comedy and the chaos, I was I got pulled back into something that is unfortunately all too current. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and of course it's on a much smaller scale with um, you know, a gaming company rather than a uh, uh a nation of established <laughs> law and order. Yes. yes. <laughs> well, this is a very different story than Death Comes from the Toy Maker. Normally I kind of try to mentally pin down an author's style um, between works and find those ties these are these are night and day right yeah yeah you know you had toy maker is steeped in sumerian mythology mm. around gilgamesh you know when we talked about it honestly i felt like i was talking taking a university class of sorts you know because oh, wow. your in-depth knowledge of the material and, and you used it to kind of tell a, a modern version of you know this holiday origin story using gilgamesh and that pantheon this is just pure fun so what mentally captivates you about a project and like wanting to take it on and like, I want to do this. You well, have a I, whole lot of ideas and distill it down because your brain is just going, you know, in too many directions at once. That's me, but. Oh, um, maybe to an extent. Um, but honestly with, with Tilly, it was, um, I, I did want to do something that was just fun. Um, and because I had, uh, I think around that time, Daniel Warren Johnson's Beta Ray Bill series had come out um, when we were uh, really in the middle of writing this. Um, And it it is probably one of my favorite comics Marvel has put out in the past five years or so. It's fantastic. Yeah, I was was amazed. Yeah, and it it is from beginning to end, the momentum is there. It's it's very fast paced, um, but it's it's steeped in this, you know, all the Marvel lore you want, all this Walter Simonson lore. Um, But... At the same time, it's just fun. Um, like, if, if somebody came to me and said, what is this comic about? What is Beta Ray Bill about? I would say, it's about fun, and it's about a good time. And yeah, there's a lot more depth there. Um, but it, it's not often that I read something where I immediately go back to issue one and start over again. And that was one of them, because it was just so, so fun beginning to end. The panel-to-panel storytelling was there. Um, it told you everything you needed to know in each panel without, um, being too, uh, lofty in, in dialogue or in action. It was just a smooth transition from page to page. Um, and I, I wanted to have fun in a comic. Not that I didn't have fun with Death Comes from the Toy Maker. That was a, um, kind of an experience that's more from my theater roots, um, of writing this, you know, this three act play, um, with, uh, you know, this, uh, this Joseph Campbell style narrative with this, uh, uh, going on a quest and coming back to your home, uh, with or without that knowledge. Um, but grandma Tilly, I don't think anybody is searching for knowledge. I don't think anybody is searching for a sense of self necessarily. A reader is not going to come out of that and say, I've really thought more about my situation and I need to do this now. Um, hopefully you finish it and say, that was fun. Let's start it over. Um, and, and that's kind of the process. Uh, like my, my next project, um, that's uh, going to start either this month or early 2024, uh, the pitch rounds at least, um, is more along the lines of Toymaker, I would say. Um, it's a little post-apocalyptic. It's uh, got some fantasy in it, some sci-fi, um, but very grounded in a character's introspection to their situation. Okay. Um, and then the following series... I'm hoping to do these in order so that it's introspective fun, introspective fun. Uh, the gotcha. following series is a, a just a, a superhero romp. It's, um, it's silly. It's about these superheroes who, um, because of the, the business they're in, they don't take time to really examine uh, their situations. So somebody uh, who hates superheroes because they're always messing up things uh, is just one day says, well, they should do it this way. And, and leave us out of it. Now, now suddenly they're on the team because they're they have this ability to see things that the superheroes don't see. When really they're just they've chosen to separate themselves from this nonsense. Uh, and it's a silly romp. It's kind of just the home for all the um, every every comic creator has this cavalcade of superheroes they've created with stories that you might not pan out. So 
all of them go in here now. <laughs> so it's just this. Okay. Uh, I talk about this toy box with Tilly and playing with all the toys. Uh, and these are just the toys I created over the years with uh, in superhero form. Um, so while I would love it to be that pattern of um, here's this introspection piece, here's this fun piece, and back and forth, um, it's it, it really depends on what publishers are looking for, uh, what I'm able to print independently if that if it comes to that, or um, uh, any contract work that hopefully one day comes in um, because it's you know the the next the next major goal is you know hopping on a, a license or an IP and yeah. uh, playing with those toys in that very established sandbox, whatever that might be. Um, um, but yeah, it, process wise, it's uh, that that's the hopeful process. Let's uh, let's do some thoughtful ones. Let's do some fun ones. Uh, and unfortunately, I think it does kind of feel like I might not have a very channeled voice because of that. Okay. Um, but um, maybe we'll see how sales go. And if one is very disparate from the other, the one that sells the more will now be my voice. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll stick to the introspection or I'll stick to the fun. Um, but really, it's, it's just a, a therapy for me because uh, uh, you, you like to go back and forth between that, you know, the dichotomy of your brain, I think, or for me at least. Well, we don't all want to be starving artists. There's there's been a lot of uh, of folks that I've talked to, especially with graphic novels that they put together, and then publishers like, can we make this YA? Because yeah. the YA market is huge, and they're like, sure, mm -hmm. you know. So yeah, yeah, gotta yeah. do what you gotta do. It, it's fascinating because there's a um, the last thing I was pitching and still kind of am was a um, uh, a middle grade, so I guess you know, nine to 13, not quite young yeah. adult, uh, but not quite a uh, young reader uh, series, like an episodic issue by issue series. And uh, there really isn't a market for that. Um, but you put it all together as a, you know, a, a six chapter book rather than a six issue series. Um, yes. Now suddenly somebody wants it. Um, and while I would love to be able to, you know, put that together and fund it myself, it's, it's not quite, I'm not quite there on a, uh, a level of confidence with uh, um, a six-issue series again. Um, really lucked out with Toymaker, <laughs> um, uh, but uh, yeah, like I said, the, the industry is constantly shifting, and uh, um, I think a lot of a lot of the things that are coming out as young adults. I I think it's a matter of opinion. What makes a, a comic young adult, or yeah. what comes makes a story young adult? Is it the content? Is it the um, the story itself. Um, I think nine times out of ten, you can take a a, a comic or a, any story that's um, you know around about PG thirteen and slap that young adult sticker on it, and suddenly you've got a young adult bestseller. Yep. Um, and it just it just depends on the publisher. It just depends on um, the audience themselves. But uh, um, it, it's just it's fascinating to know what. A content label or having it released as a chapter book or issue by issue does to a uh to a publisher and an audience it changes the series completely and it's fascinating yeah and it, it's really interesting as the parent of a teenager and seeing and one of my peeves is um when you you tag something that's that's targeted for teens and it is it is written a good five years below where their yeah. maturity level is um because their kids are exposed to so much, and I mm -hmm. think that's a that's a generational thing. Because grandparents are, you know, oh, what do I get? What do I buy so and so for Christmas? Right? Um, they they want something to read, and you just inevitably don't hit the right target market. But yeah, um, and they end up reading stuff that is more mature, designed for adults, just mm -hmm. because you know conceptually it's not it's not there. It's not where it needs to be for for that maturity level. I mean, like. The, these kids are exposed to so much more, so much quicker oh, yeah. than we were. Than we were. So, yeah, I think um, so. yeah. All right. Well, let's jump into my quick hit section. These are five sort of random questions designed Ooh. to get to know you and and me because I'll answer them too. Um, this is Dakota Brown edition, so <laughs> we'll start with Grandma Tilly's kind of inspired stuff. What's your favorite video game controller? Oh, my favorite controller. Um, I'm a sucker for the GameCube controller, um, but. Uh, recently, I've been doing a lot of um, uh, beat-em-ups 
um, because Shredder's Revenge came out, and obviously I picked that up. Um, And it might not always be the best controller for um, for a beat 'em up. I've got the uh, uh, the Switch version of a a GameCube controller. Um, So in that situation, you know, I might just go with the, the the Switch controllers themselves, but the feel of a GameCube controller is just here. It, it felt like here's this new generation. Here's this new, uh, here's everything that didn't work with the 64, uh, and comfortable in your chubby little hands, Dakota, because <laughs> I, I do have tiny little fingers and a chubby little hand. And that just, it fits perfectly to this day. Gotcha. Yeah. I'm, I'm the old school Nintendo controller all the way. Okay. I just, I love this, the really simple rectangular architecture, um, Packing everything you need into just a couple buttons. So yeah, yeah. I've yeah. been thinking about getting the Switch version of the uh, NES controller because it's a uh, there's a lot of virtual machine games I play um, or virtual console I think they call it. Um, but also, I don't know if they've they've made a Sega six button controller for the <laughs> for the, the Switch yet. But that would that would be number two there. Okay. Um, what's a great memory of your grandmother since we're talking about, you know, this with Tilly or an older family member? Oh, um, <laughs> uh, my grandmother was a, uh, a fireball. Um, she, not getting into any of the sadness, she was definitely a survivor. Um, and, uh, definitely w- told everybody what she thought at all times. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the last Thanksgivings we shared with her, um, was, um, was a Thanksgiving where somebody was late. Uh, I won't get into who, because if they listen to this, they'll know, but they'll Uh-oh. still know <laughs> if they do okay. listen to it. Um, so every, everybody was just waiting. Cause you don't, this is a family that, uh, we wait till everybody's there. Then we eat and say, you know, this is a, this is sense of fellowship. Let's all join this together. For sure. Um, and my grandmother uh, was getting hungry and getting agitated. And uh, I think my wife and I, some, I think it was my wife and I, we brought a cheese ball, just a, a very simple, uh, uh, yeah, it was us, because it was a jalapeno, jalapeno cheddar cheese ball. Very simple, very, um, you can use it as a sandwich spread. You can use it as a, right. a cracker dipper. Very good. And, and I think one of us said, well, would you like to try our new cheese ball, Grandma? And she just, I, it's become the quote with my wife and I, and it's the simplest quote ever. And she just crossed her arms and went, no, <laughs> that was it. And it's just a wonderful memory of my grandma being sassy. And it, it, it encapsulates so much of her, um, uh, desire to have things of, uh, her way. It sounds bad, but it's like, she knew what, you know, everybody else needed. Uh, and eventually that other person did, uh, get to the Thanksgiving dinner and said well if nobody else is going to be eating i'll start eating and started digging into food without everybody else uh uh starting so okay uh, that's that person that's another story <laughs> i guess you gotta have consent i guess yeah, that's, I that's the way that works well mine is about as tennessee uh, a memory as you can get uh when i was like five or six I used to ride around on the tractor with my grandfather. They had a 190-acre farm. Um, he largely oh, grew nice. t- tobacco on it. Okay. Um, so we would cruise around on the farm, and he had a gallon Mayfield yellow milk jug. Um, okay. If you remember what the Mayfield milk with the cow on it and everything. Oh, like we that. still have it here. Okay, okay. Yeah, so, of course, he had it filled with moonshine. Yeah. Uh, so he would sip on the moonshine, and he would give me some. And sort of after a while, maybe the tractor would swerve a little bit more than it did at the beginning. But like, this was just a great memory with my grandfather. So. Oh, that's wonderful. And that, that was uh, before the, you know, all the, the, the stills were um, licensed, licensed and accredited by the government. I think uh, this oh, yeah. was, was this homemade? Was it uh, his, oh, yeah. his brew? No, he didn't make it. But um, back in the day, um, he was investigated by the IRS and the revenuers. And there's a whole family story because he owned the only uh, grocery store in that whole part of the County in, oh, wow. in uh, Von Orr, um, Tennessee, which is not that far from you. Okay. Um, it's t- like Teleco Plains area. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, so he would sell sugar and other stuff out the back off the books 
two people make a moonshine gotcha. and in turn they would supply him and, and everything. So that's where he got his homemade hooch. Oh, uh, the white lightning, they call it. Oh yeah. That stuff was strong. Blue flame special. Um, yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, what's one, uh, one thing that you do or, or you see that makes you feel old these days? Oh gosh. Most everything. Um, something that's been really interesting lately. Um, I'm not good at updating my wardrobe at all, uh, until there's holes or, um, you know, my weight has fluctuated either one way or the other, and it's just uh, not possible to, uh, <laughs> to wear those clothes anymore. Um, but I'm starting to see like the clothes I wore in high school, which I still have some of them, yeah. um, kind of just be back in fashion. Um, because a lot of like late nineties, early 2000 clothes, there's a lot of flared jeans on, uh, teenagers and a lot of like midriff shirts on girls. And, uh, I've seen Jinkos. I don't know if it's the actual brand. Um, chain wallets and uh, those belts with the big uh, stud holes in them. Just things that scream to me early 2000s, uh, like Hot Topic, Abercrombie Fitch, Aeropostle, just the, the mall clothes you imagine from um, late 90s, early 2000s. And I, I think to myself, oh, th oh, thank God, some of the clothes I own maybe not the Jinkos, but like the baggy jeans that I definitely wear, those are in fashion and the, uh, you know, the baggy shirts. Um, but I think about going out dressed now in the clothes that, uh, teenagers are wearing. And I, I know for a fact, the second I, uh, I, I step out, uh, not even thinking about it. It's just, I happen to have these clothes still that are right. now in fashion. I'm going to be seen as the the old man trying to uh, to catch up with the times and uh, have the the new hip clothes when really these are just like dinky faded jeans I've had for 25 years or what have you. Yeah, but that stuff's vintage. You could make a mint and fund your next book. Find the artist you got. That's you true. already got pay, your six pages paid for. Just, oh, just yeah. selling selling your vintage. Oh yeah, <laughs> you guys want an old navy pair of jeans from <laughs> anybody in the market? Seventy dollars, thirty-eight, thirty. Pair of old navy jeans from nineteen ninety-eight. Somebody buy it. Somebody. Um, for me, it's uh, around Thanksgiving, driving around with my my father-in-law and us, constantly saying, "Could you believe how expensive this is? Can you believe yeah. how expensive that?" Like all the time, and I was like, "God, I feel so old. This is terrible." Yeah, but uh, at the, at the same time, it's been a very interesting, you know, two or two or three years of inflation. That uh, if you do say, "Can you believe how expensive this is?" You know, it, you're actually just talking about you know two or three years ago, maybe. Um, yeah, yeah. I have uh, double checked some uh, receipts I found that uh, happened to be similar items from the same store from a couple of years ago that I just stumbled across, and uh, uh, they're they're different. <laughs> they're very different. That's depressing. Um, yeah. yeah. So who's your favorite Ninja Turtle? The original? Uh, Mikey. Um, okay. uh, all day, every day. Um, it, it's the, uh, the teenage aspect of the new Ninja Turtles that I, uh, I really liked. Um, if you're going to, uh, to go about this lifestyle of this uh, um, Frank Miller style uh, battle against evil ninjas you might as well go in with a sense of humor and a good attitude and when you get home you want to eat the weirdest pizza you can you want to uh, play video games and 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 relax um certain most video games i'll play as raf because they usually give raf a better move set on uh especially the the arcade the original arcade game oh yeah for um, sure uh, uh or leo because leo has a better hitbox that's getting into <laughs> weird specifics with the uh of the arcade cabinets um but yeah as far as personality and uh uh character itself i i i try to emulate my life off of a uh chillaxed cowabunga attitude <laughs> nice okay i wish i could say that i'm a raf guy so that should that should probably make Ooh. a lot of sense make a lot of sense yeah like the the angsty and and the very very driven yeah yeah uh, i for years i i despised Raphael, because uh, he was always the one getting people in trouble or going off on his own yep. uh, and getting captured by the foot or whatever, and then everybody else would have to go uh, rescue him. But I completely get him and his attitude and 
just his inability to, or his bad luck finding his own place among his own family, or uh, just narratively the importance of having a character that goes off on his own and you know meets Casey Jones, and gets um, gets stuck with the Foot Clan, and everybody has to uh, start this adventure to find him. Uh, so I get it in both senses, and I totally see uh, every turtle's value both as characters and as plot points to an extent. Well, if you could rewrite the last Ronin, which of the four turtles would you center the story around that survived? Probably Mikey, given what you just I said. Mean, yeah, it's um, the entire time I was reading it, um, not to give any, anything away to anyone who hasn't read it, but obviously there's this one turtle who's surviving. And the time when I was reading that first issue, I was like, if it was me, I'd make it Mikey. There's a, it's going to have a, a bigger impact on the audience. It's going to have a b- bigger impact on the character. You're going to see this shift from this uh, relaxed Calabunga dude to somebody who is more aligned to, say, I guess, a, a Raphael or somebody even darker than Raphael. Right. Um, so that was my hope reading it. Um, and I think if I, if, if I was given the project originally, um, that's who I would go with. Um, but I can see value in every every single turtle and what that does to them as a character. Uh, Leo is an interesting one because he's he's he, I think he feels he's the uh, the elder of the family. Um, so if this is him in this role, he's he's feeling this failure of failing his family, failing his brothers. Um, so there's a different um, there's a different attitude going into this venture. Um, Donnie is going to have a much more um, introverted uh, reaction to it. I think he's. I think he's going to go into this like this hiding where he's diving into tech and finding ways more technologically specific to um, one cope with his feelings and two put an end to whatever evil is happening. Um, and Raph, um, I don't know how many issues you'd be able to get a, get away with Raph being the one. <laughs> Uh, right, right. Because uh, he's he's going into it balls to the wall, uh, yep. without thought, without without his brothers to back him up. So you would probably have to introduce some other characters early to um, you know get Raph out of the uh, the hot water. Um, but I think each, I'm sure they they thought and thought about which turtle to go with, and I'm sure it's a similar situation where they know this turtle's going to be this 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 story with this turtle. It's this story with this turtle. Yep. Um, and if they ever do a, a, a what if Ronin, <laughs> what if last Ronin, um, I'm available at nice. all times. There you go. Yeah, I would definitely, I want to say I would, I would do it with Raph, but Mikey makes the most obvious sense. I, I, I mean, think so. Yeah. Uh, just because of, like I said, that shift in character and it, it's such an emotional impact for the character and the audience. Um, probably one of the most powerful things in comics and the reason why it was it was the best-selling trade of 2023 was it not i might be missing it's definitely up there if yeah yeah um with numbers that just blow me away and right i mean it doesn't surprise me by any means but very impressive and good on everybody involved yeah yeah i mean with raf i feel like the reason i would want it to to be there is is one you could go somewhere very dark which reminds mm. me of the turtles actually sort of as i grew up with them um because mm. the era that i fell into it and that was like you know, the mid 90s um so the presentation overall was just a little bit different yeah you know? was it the, the dark horse run um yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so that's kind of where I fell in love with it, so I thought it would lend itself to darker. But you're right; he would, if without support, there's there's no way. <laughs> yeah, I like I said, it very far. It, in in my very limited scope of thought right now, it would have to be like you bring in other characters to uh, let them save let them save him or and some sex yes. machina. Yeah, yeah there yeah. would have to be some sacrificial lambs, which is a yep. different kind of emotional impact that might not always work. Um, but it 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 would be a fascinating read to to find out what the um what. Uh, Eastman and Waltz's ideas were um, before settling on Mikey, or maybe Mikey was. I just gave it away. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> it's all it's, good. Um, it's inferred. Trust me. Yeah, like, it, by, by this a, conversation, people are like, if if they haven't figured it out already, come on. My people. bad, everybody. It's all uh, good. But if it's, uh, I mean, it's in the very first issue, so it's okay. Um, yeah. There are more surprises along the way. Um, 
but maybe Mikey, like I said, Mike, maybe Mikey was always the decision, and I, I think it was a good one. Yeah, me too. Well, uh, back to Tilly's. Um, we talked about before things kicked off um, how well it was doing on Global Comics. So, mm-hmm. so where else can people go to to pick it up or to read it online or? In, yeah, in so it was um, it was available as a in in in, uh, in as a diamond uh, through Diamond Distribution. So most uh, right. comic stores. Um, ordered it or could order it. I believe they still can. Yeah. Um, it's available on Band of Bards website, um, ban- just bandofbards.com. Um, you can pre-order issues two and issues three. At this moment, uh, issue two is scheduled to come out December 13th, uh, and issue three is scheduled to come out December 20th. So one week after the other. Um, that's because issue two was pushed for a little bit. I haven't heard anything about issue three being pushed. So at the moment, this being December fifth, I don't know when this when this comes out. Um, uh, issue two is December thirteenth, and issue three is the twentieth. Uh, all can be pre-order, pre-ordered through Band of Bards, uh, but Global Comics, you get it as a PDF immediately. They're all on there right now, ready to uh, peruse. Um, and uh, we're building a, a pretty decent audience there for uh, for Tilly, which is a lot of fun, especially with it being such a uh, new. Uh, service in scope of in comparison to other you know distribution services yeah i'd I like what global commerce is doing i'd really like to see what the numbers are in kind of pushing some books mm. that that are a little bit more abstract or different or can't find that home when yeah. you have a publisher who's like okay i need five fantasy books this year <laughs> and i need or sci-fi books this year, you know that sort of oh, thing. Oh, that's a that's always an interesting rejection email to get. Just to say we have something, uh, we have a fantasy, uh, or we have a sci-fi that we're doing, and it's uh, clearly not the exact same thing. And you yep. you could fit this one in if you wanted to, um, but I completely get it. Uh, uh, um, but it the uh, yeah, I'll let it say Global Comics has been great <laughs> and. Uh, <laughs> Uh, I think the best way is to to grab it is through Band of Bards website at this moment. There might be a better way to get it. Uh, always check your local comic store. Uh, if they don't have it, they can order it. Um, issues one, two, or three. Um, uh, yeah. Issues one, two, and three. Yeah. All, all of them. All of them. That's true. All there's no and. There's no or. There's no and or. It's just and. Right. And. And. Sale. 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 Um, and then, as I understand it, the collected uh, Death Comes for the Toy Maker is coming out in March. Is that it's March? Next yeah, year? March 2024. Um, I've actually got some uh, questions to answer today about the trade paperback. Um, it's uh, I, it's looking to have no issues as far as uh, uh, release dates changing. I don't know the exact date. We know it's March, um, so we're we're finishing up the um, um, the actual. Uh, Creator proof for me. I say we. I'm not involved with it at all. At all. The the comic's been done for my part for about a, a year now. Um, so once that creator proof proof's available, they're sending it in, and hopefully March 2024 is a pretty steadfast date. Awesome. And give people like your your quick synopsis of that again. I'll I'll put the the transcription to our chat of it previously in the show notes. Okay. So everybody can oh, check fantastic. it out. But but yeah yeah. So but just to give people a little quick preview of of what we're dealing with. Yeah. Uh, so it's a uh, it's a holiday story about um, this universe's version of Santa Claus, which is called Gil the Toymaker, uh, and his contract with death that allows him eternity. He, he has immortality through death, uh, but in exchange, death gets one night of vacation every year, uh, and that night of vacation is the holiday where Gil is distributing toys. This holiday is called Ea's Day in this universe. Um, so when Gil, the toy maker is going out with his nice list and his naughty list, he also has a death list. So he's giving gifts, he's giving salt and the stockings of bad children. Uh, but he's also taking the souls who, um, are, whose time have come, whether they're naughty, whether they're nice, it's just their time. Uh, and Gil is tired of it. So, uh, he and some of his helpers formulate a plan to not only get out of his contract, but to banish death completely both the entity and the idea. Uh, but at the same time, it's also a retelling and uh, direct sequel to the Epic of Gilgamesh. Uh, so it's got, it goes back and forth in time from our story with uh, this toy maker and his contract with death and uh, the forward battle to uh, 
break that contract uh, while also being this uh, retelling of uh, multiple uh, Sumerian and Akkadian uh, mythoses, or just myths, I guess. Um, uh, and yeah, it's a it's this A story and B story that come together in one giant battle. Um, it's very clear in the first issue who is uh, that these. It's very clear in the first issue that the these two stories, this Babylon Babylonian story and the story of this toy maker, are the same story. Um, but it's a lot of fun. Um, I, I think a lot of people have been a little surprised at the the connections we're making with these two stories um and we've gotten a lot of great feedback about issue one uh and the only negative feedback i've been getting is when is the rest of the series coming out so uh now we can say march 2024 and we're good to go where can people find you online okay yes uh so uh i'm most active on twitter slash x depending on what you want to call it um my uh, my username is uh, Dakota Wright. That's a uh, uh, I spelled it out the most ridiculous way. D U H D O A T U H W R I T E S. So it's Dakota Wrights, but spelled just silly. Um, and then writer Dakota Brown on Instagram and Blue Sky. Uh, I'm on Hive, um, <laughs> the, the the number one uh, social media site. We all for, are. Uh, uh, is it? I haven't been on in a while. Is anything still happening there? Oh, I, I, we're all on it. And like, oh. whether something's happening, I can't say. <laughs> um, yeah. So if anybody knows of the, the best home for me to be, I would love to, to join you in this social media house because it's a me, me very too. interesting landscape yeah. right now. Yeah. Someone please tell me where we're all going. Um, <laughs> yes, I'll, I'll bring a cheese ball. Nice. Will it be one of those port wines that have the nuts on the outside? Oh, wait, we can do that. I was, I was going to bring the, uh, the one my grandmother Volcano. refused. Um, but we can go, Hey, any, any house that'll have me their preferred cheese ball, I will bring. Cool. Okay. I'll remember that. <laughs> All right, Dakota. Thanks so much for taking the time to hang out with me again and catch up on everything you're up to. Oh, thanks so much. It's been a pleasure. Yeah. Well, this is Byron O'Neill on behalf of all of us at Comic Book Yeti. Thanks. And thanks to our number one fan, Bobby. Um, thanks Bobby and everyone else out there listening today. We'll see you next time. Happy holidays, everyone. Peace out. This is Byron O'Neill, one of your hosts of the Cryptic Creator Corner, brought to you by Comic Book Yeti. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of our podcast. Please rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff. It lets us know how we're doing, and more importantly, how we can improve. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode of the Cryptid Creator Corner, maybe you would enjoy our sister podcast, Into the Comics Cave. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Joey Galvez. I want to tell you guys a little bit about the Department of Metahuman Affairs. This one is a story about a team led by a retired sidekick, two felons, a failed actor from Broadway, and a reprogrammed cyborg. But their first mission is to stop the criminals who have robbed a bank, and they will have to set the world at ease. You're going to get 180 pages of entertainment action-packed awesomeness right here in the first six issues in a collected hardcover volume one all you got to do is head on over to kickstarter.com and type in the department of metahuman affairs or dma and check it out right now 